0: Hey, you're listening to Quarantined Comics, where we break down, critique, review, and revisit the graphic novels that made big impressions on our young lives. This week, it's Junji Ito's Uzumaki, about a sleepy seaside town in Japan that descends into madness as each citizen slowly becomes obsessed with the spiral shape. It sounds weird, it is weird, and it's a mix of Monty Python-esque comedy, body, and psychological horror with a hint of H.P. Lovecraft mythology, all told from the point of view of Kiri, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of the names since I am Chinese-American and not Japanese-Japanese, um, it's all told from the point of view of Kiri, a high school-aged girl. As our, as our most, as our most <laughs> Japanese comics. I'm Ryan Joe. I'm Roman Segel, and uh, we're two guys whose opinions aren't that interesting, but for the next forty minutes, we'll pretend they are. Okay, so Ryan, I gotta say, um,
1: we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I like to read comic books before I go to bed to kind of quiet my mind, and you gave me. A real mind fuck to read these last three nights. Jeez, yeah, I'm man. sorry. I,
0: I was, I was actually when I was rereading it, I was thinking, uh, I, I, I maybe I should have done something a little bit more, uh, more. I don't want to use the word conventional, but maybe uh, less, less freakish. But I, I'm kind of curious what your reaction to it was. Um. Well, I, I speak in metaphors.
1: Maybe I'm not using the word correctly, but um, one thing I like about film with specifically film, is if a film moves me, right, to tears, I'm happy, I'm laughing um, because of something so smart, funny, relatable, or I'm disturbed. And one of the films that first had that impact on me was, uh, I think it was Devil's Advocate, the Al Pacino movie. Reeves Charlie's Ray. therein. Yeah. And comics, it's harder to get this kind of reaction out of me. Like, I laugh sometimes. I've occasionally wept at reading but I'm more distant I'm more removed and uh you warned me you were like hey man don't read it at night and so I kept putting it off cuz I was like I'll read it during the day uh but I had to read it at night that was the only time a few nights ago so I started I did some I finished it this afternoon but um I didn't get nightmares I I did purposely read it really fast because I was like if I linger on these pages it's going to sit with me <laughs> and I don't want it to sit with me cuz it. Do you like horror, Ryan? As a genre outside of any medium,
0: do you like horror? Well, I think the uh, the second comic I wanted to do for this show was was a horror comic. was Uzumaki. So yeah, I, I I love I love I love horror. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite genres. But there aren't a lot of horror stories, movies, or films that that really kind of leave a lasting impression. And as you mentioned, Uzumaki is is one of them for me. It's one of the I, really kind of the only. Horror comic I've read that maybe Black Hole.
1: Uh, you know what? F- a funny story, our history. When we became friends and we started, we knew we were both into comics. We grew up on comics. That was one of the first books you recommended. Yeah, Charles you. Charles
0: Burns's Black Hole left a, a, yeah. a, a, an impression on me. It it made me it it unsettled me. And Uzumaki probably unsettles me even more because it's it's th- the way he uses body horror. Is really yeah. freakish to me. I think the way that it often reflects a decaying mentality, a decaying psychology, uh, is also really horrifying to me. We've spoken before, Raman, I think about like one of my biggest fears is losing my mind and my sense of identity. And I think Uzumaki, a large part of it is about losing your identity.
1: Well, so this is this is this is one reason I stay away from the horror genre, like it, mostly in film, because like I don't need that thrill, <laughs> like you know and. I don't mind it, especially if it's like, okay. look, if it's cream of the crop, you know, it says something, it's doing something. And that's what this is doing. Something we were trading emails. you were talking about um, humor to horror to horror to humor. There's some humorous stuff in this. Uh, If any, there's more humor than horror. But because the humor lulls you to a sense of complacency when the horror hits, like when... uh, the, the dude's father you know they discover him in spiral form like that's i think that was the first time it really hit and i was just like whoa was not expecting that
0: to go that far i think that's a great point the way it bounces from humor to horror and back to humor and then right back to horror um and it does it very 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 quickly um you know i, I you you mentioned uh, one of the, the first stories where uh um, Kiri's boyfriend's father gets obsessed with spirals to the point where at the end, he basically turns his body into a spiral and when it's revealed what he's done to himself. So, a, it is a kind of a comical image, the idea of a man who's bent his body into a cartoonish spiral, but the fact that he did this to himself, the look of on his face because he is a corpse, the look on his wife and son's face when they discover him, all of that kind of turns what could be kind of a funny situation, a cartoonish situation into one where you're just like where you almost kind of cringe. Well, that's that that that's the insidiousness of this book. Um, it's
1: plus it's it look, it's um, at first I thought it was going down a psychological path. and There's psychological elements to it, but it's, yeah, it's more physical. And that's literally what I was expecting. You meet the characters; the people are obsessed with spirals. Or the, that father who we reference. hes like obsessed with the other girl's father about make me a pot with the spiral. And I'm just like, okay, this is kind of comical. These characters are relatable; they're light. I'm, I'm moving through this pretty quickly, and then it just like punches you in the face. And it has those moments over and it, by by the end of the book, I was kind of expecting, okay, when's the next shoe going to drop in every chapter, but. um that first one I think got me more than most of them.
0: I mean actually the thing with the mother. Yeah, as well. those are the two and those are the two first stories. It's basically a punch in the face. Um in terms of the impact. And I think actually one thing I really do like about this book as a whole is how textured it is. Because in the beginning oh, yeah. it's it, it almost the the early stories feel almost like fables. You are introduced to a character who seems normal except for maybe a quirk or two. And then those quirks, those eccentricities magnify, you realize that this person a per, the, the person is obsessed with with spirals, with being beautiful, with getting attention, what have you. And then there's a physical transformation. That obsession kind of becomes a, a physical transformation, and then that that individual becomes uh, transmogrified into something demonic and monstrous physically. And so the early stories kind of get a lot of kind of shock value from that. You know, you you're introduced to the characters when they're normal, and then suddenly you see them. When they've just transformed they've lost their mind and they've lost their body and they've lost any sense of their identity and then as we as we we progress which we can talk about later it actually becomes the stories start to interlink and it becomes a lot a, 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 a kind of a very sad story much more focused on kiri as she loses her family and her home whereas in the beginning she's really more a witness of all of these strange apocalyptic things happening in the first book, Kiri and I guess her boyfriend
1: or her friend who's a boy, he comes in from out of town. He was like, uh, honey, this this town's messed up. Let's get out of here. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, it's weird. And so the first book has oh weird. weird incidents that Kiri observes. The second book, by the time the second book opened, I was just like, oh, well, clearly they got out of town. This is just going to be about other people, maybe a different set of horror. And Again, I, I like having Kiri as a companion, and uh, I cannot pronounce her boyfriend's name. But um,
0: I can't either. I've been saying uh, Suichi in my head, but it's <laughs>
1: pro Yeah. Okay, so this is where it hit home. You know, everyone's in denial, and literally the pandemic that's going on outside feels like, are we all in denial? Like everyone wants to come back out. Like, everyone's treating it like things are normal, even in so it gets comical in the middle of book two with and. I don't know, man, the snail thing like it's just like people basically start turning into snails. And I couldn't understand why do some people turn into snails and some people get spirals that borrow to their bodies or cones or whatever. But it's the whole town is in denial. They're laughing at it. And this is where the CDC needs to come in. And you guys need to abandon town because this shit is messed up and they keep going. And I'm just like, yeah, this is pretty accurate. This is what's happening in our society.
0: Right yeah, now. that's actually one of the reasons why I was really excited to read it, because in a way, it is a reflection of the pandemic that you know we're going through currently. Um, this this infestation of, of of obsession, this obsession with spirals, has sort of overtaken the entire populace, and uh, the way it's it it literally and this was written
1: in the 90s this was written, this in, the was late
0: written in the late 90s and of course there's the way that, that you you know towards the end when the madness has really taken hold you see these weird subcultures start to rise yeah, up yeah. Uh, in, book in book 3 this in book is three. in book 3 yeah well that's that's where i got a, i got a
1: little um not superhero like i was actually by book 3 which i was reading this afternoon during the day
0: I was like, "Oh, this feels like a comic book." And there's literally cyclone people. Yeah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like little hell. That's what I mean by "sit" when I said this book is is really, really textured, right? I I mentioned earlier that the the first book feels like a series of fables of people who, with these moral failings, and then it kind of bites them in the ass and it turns them into, you know, the physical manifestation of their moral failing, and then book um, book three is is where it all starts to you know you have like these the 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 superheroes sort of creatures who are kind of like taking over the wind and it becomes almost it almost feels like something out of a different comic and then in book two there's this long sequence in a hospital ward where it's it's basically a hospital horror story involving vampires and yeah that too feels almost like its own thing. It feels like a completely separate story. But at the same time, while these few stories feel kind of separate, they also feel like they're also very much a part of Uzumaki. They're very much, it's very much an example of people who have kind of gone insane because of the, the their obsession with the spiral. And it also kind of has that that same it has those kind of same elements of surprise where things suddenly You know, suddenly happen out of nowhere that you don't expect. Pregnant women, for instance, you know, they're in a hospital. The last thing that you expect to be the monster would be a bunch of pregnant women who are often seen as the most vulnerable. And so, these reversals and these changes, like to me, it's very, very characteristic of what Junji Ito does, and it's also what kind of gives him his his power. It's what makes him. Is what makes the story so
1: so horrifying. So, really quick question: um, In what order are they your favorites? For me, Volume One, then Volume Three, then Volume Two. But what about you? And then I want to talk about Volume Three first.
0: Uh, volume One was the one that has that 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 leaves the biggest impression on me. It's it's the one that where I, I kind of have when I think of Uzumaki, all of the images kind of come from Volume One. Volume two is sort of like a transition where you start moving away from that sort of like very episodic storytelling into a story that's more connected where he starts to bring all of these different pieces together. And then volume three is the one that actually feels like the most cohesive story. It's, it's the one where, you know, Kiri and her family are now have, have this new normal that they're dealing with and they now have to, figure out a way to either confront it or live within its its new rules. Well actually what I what I appreciated about volume three was with so
1: many of these things, whether it's a Marvel movie, it's kind of hard to say a Star Wars movie, but things that occur in our in on Earth, right? Um, or a comic book, very rarely, with the exception of things like Marvels and Astro City, do you talk about how the rest of the world reacts to it. And the introduction of volume three is a new character, the reporter. Mm. And maybe it was only one story, but you get to see what's going on with the outside world a couple of times. And it, to your point about being textured, it's a spiral, which is like a black hole. And it's pulling. So people who come in aid workers, the military, what reporters, they get sucked in and they can't leave like the hotel, California. And um, they even show the military trying to come Mm. in, you know, it's them, And, I just really appreciate like the macro view of what's going on here. And it wasn't like how the world's reacting. It's just like, oh yeah, the world is reacting. They're sending people in and they're just getting sucked in. And there's like literally saying more and more people kept coming into this town. And yeah, I just, I just really, it, it made it more meaningful to be like, this is not some isolated town. It is, but it's, it's happening and the world is reacting to it.
0: That, that's actually kind of like one of the a really interesting juxtaposition with when it comes to Ido. Like, like a lot of the stuff that happens in Uzumaki is cartoonish and weird and grotesque. um. Yet at the same time, a lot of his depictions are, it's kind of grounded in a certain reality, right? As we mentioned earlier... Mm-hmm. There are, there are reporters and people, in, and it still feels like a real populated Japan. The way he draws the, the city, the town that's being beset upon by spirals, he draws it very realistically. It's almost kind of like a very mundane, you know, very mundane illustrations of, of the town and the landscapes. And so to me, you know, that kind of adds to the horror of seeing everything sort of transform. It goes from something that's very real and grounded and normal and relatable and then suddenly it becomes something twisted, literally, and and weird. One of my favorite, not thing, eh, it was actually one of my favorite things, was um
1: they're leaving the village, and you know, the row houses are like the only things that were surviving magically, right? From um the tornadoes and the hurricane or the typhoons. They're leaving the town, leaving the row houses, trying to climb up into the hills, and they look down, like, oh wow, well, people are building and extending on the houses. And I was like, oh shit those row houses are going to become a spiral mm. and when they did that i was just like and they they come back they kind of get caught in a time vortex or a time spiral as they call it and they thought they'd been gone for days but it had been months maybe even a year or two and literally the entire town is the ancient row houses now expanded into a spiral um and even just the, the that image one thing i always look for in comics even though like i breeze through the art a lot it's like oh yeah what would be a cool thing to put up on the wall And that that scene, I'm trying to flip to it, when they just kind of look down at the town and it's a spiral. It's innocent. It's not horror. But if you've read the book, it's a reminder of what's this going on. This is the beginning on. of, you know, how of
0: chapter out. 18. There's like a huge splash page yeah. where you see kind of the town that's been kind of rebuilt into this strange spiral.
1: Yeah, it's great. I I love this image.
0: What was your take on, on you know, at the end when we started to, it, it became a much more personal and sad story for Kiri, whereas before she'd been... She'd been more mostly a witness and things that had, or or a victim, you know, being chased around the halls by, by monsters. It becomes a much more personal story for her because you see, like, very very gradually, her family is is very gradually stripped away and taken away from, from her. Um, You know, people that she's she knows start to betray her. So it's it becomes a much more intense. It much becomes much more intense for her psychologically, at the end as well. I don't know.
1: She's the journeyman of the book. I'm not attached to her because I knew... had uh, Spoiler alert, it's not necessarily a bad ending, but it's not a happy ending. Um, And I kind of expected it. It it was the right conclusion for her. It was almost sweet.
0: She's the right journeyman. Yeah, let's talk about the ending. I I was actually really haunted by the ending. But basically, she becomes... um, one with the with one spiral. spiral, and basically she she she.
1: Well, she des- she descends into the root of the
0: spiral, yeah. and you kind of see that she's in as she, as she kind of descends down. You see, it's like this giant machine it seems to be built out of petrified human bodies that have been coiled up, and that it has probably been here for for ages and ages. And this is the kind of really the H.P. Lovecraft influence. H.P. Lovecraft was big on. Elder gods and cities that would drive you mad simply by looking at it. Yeah, but you know, I, what,
1: again, what made the ending work is something in that last chapter where, uh, Kiri and her boyfriend are like, wow, it seems like this is just a cycle that repeats maybe once a century or every thousand years. I was like, okay. So again, not as a reader am I accepting of it, but I'm just like, no, as a reader, I'm accepting, as a character, I wouldn't be, but I'm like, so there's a resignation. This was bound to happen. You couldn't have done anything other than at the very first page get on the train and leave with your boyfriend. But it was meant to be, and you know they embrace and they become one with the spiral. And you know you zoom out, and yeah, you're that's going.
0: what I. And then, that's that's kind of what I appreciated about it is that there was just really no fighting it. You know, she could kind of see what's at the center, but there's nothing that she could really do to resist it or to get away. If from.
1: anything, if 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 anything, like.
0: Look, yes, there was a torture
1: of watching her loved ones die. But the way she saw her parents, she finally was at peace with them. I think they were petrified uh, into stone or something. She wasn't mutilated, minus the hair thing, um, which she got out kind of easily on. And all the psychological trauma, she didn't, which is, again, to be fair, that's some suffering. But at the end, she basically hugged her boyfriend and went to sleep. And, you know, she wasn't mutilated like so many of the people who who turned into snails or had um, uh,
0: whatever those bunion things growing out of their body. You know, it's like she did okay. One of the things I've always found really interesting about uh, Uzumaki and kind of really a lot of Junji Ito's work is that he kind of shows the horror, but he doesn't show the reason why it's happening. And we kind of alluded to this earlier. Why do some people turn into snails, while other people just just become obsessed with the spiral and want to bend their bodies into that form, or or,
1: or a spiral comes out of
0: their yeah. eye? Or why something. does why does their head sort of suddenly corkscrew inward?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's like J.J. Abrams' Mystery Box. If they explained it, it like the unknown is scarier than the known. If they said at the end, oh, it's these aliens who do it every thousand years, I'm like, I, I don't care anymore. I don't buy it. I like not. Yeah.
0: Man. And in fact, that whole i the whole thing about this, this city being here or this this spiral having been here for thousands of years and millennia, and to me, that was actually kind of, you know, it's an overture towards an explanation. And I almost kind of feel it's sort of like the end of Psycho where they try to explain who Norman Bates is. It's sort of like, we don't need that.
1: The only reason I didn't mind it is because it gave me a sense of closure. Like I, that was the easiest explanation they could have done. And they did it. Um, it landed. This was meant to happen. no getting around it sucks to be you zoom out spiral town the end (laughs) that's that's i didn't know i want to talk to that a little because in film um i that's why empire strikes back is one of my favorite movies right it's like it ends on a down note and there's this other movie i'm gonna take us off tangent for a second but a long time ago and we were all home for thanksgiving and Happy Feet, the movie, was out. <laughs> She's like, let's go see that. I was like, Mom, I really don't want to see this movie. So we go see it. Have you seen Happy Feet? Uh, yeah. I have not seen Happy Feet. So it's a, it's a movie about a penguin. He's happy. He can dance. But, you know, something, something. His family's in danger. He must escape to get help. Blah, blah, blah. So he escapes. He swims away. He gets to South America. And there's this one point in the movie where you think he's going to die, and he doesn't. That's fine. He gets rescued, and he wakes up, and he's surrounded by other penguins. But he doesn't recognize them. And remember, he's, he's on a mission. He has to get help to save his family back in Antarctica. And he realizes he got saved and put in a zoo. And he's stuck behind the glass. And at that moment, I was like, oh, shit. Rolled to credits. Rolled to credits. That's it. That's the movie. <laughs> and they didn't. You know, he, he makes it back home and he saves everybody. But I guess my point is, that movie would have been a 10 out of 10. Had it ended there. This finality. You tried. Sucks to be you. The world sucks sometimes. And you obviously wouldn't do it with a G-rated movie. But like director's cut of Happy Feet. Is the ending. To just to um, Uzumaki. And. I wish more storytellers would do that. I guess that's my point. Not with the, and, and again Empire Strikes Back. As good as it is. Unfortunately Return of the Jedi comes after it. So
0: you don't end that way. But Rogue One does end that way with a finality to it uzumaki i think there's more leeway to do that because financially the stakes are not quite as high obviously for a movie like happy feet there's a lot invested in there you kind of have to give especially in hollywood the audience what they want especially when so much money has gone into your story versus like uzumaki you know it's a little manga um it's it's definitely a very singular vision of this guy junji ito so I think, you know, even if you try to translate it into another medium, you'd basically be diluting it because you'd be filtering the the vision of Junji Ito through somebody else who, you know, you know, who might not be fully aligned with him.
1: Well, and, and, that's, and that's why Warren Ellis, um, not Warren Ellis, I'm sorry, Alan Moore, every movie that's been made from it, V for Vendetta, Watchmen, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's had his name taken off it. He doesn't want the money from it because he's like, this is not my vision. So to bring it back a little bit, and if we really want to go back to the book, um, Uzumaki. You really? Camp, don't, I, I, don't I get the sense manga. you don't
0: want to talk about Uzumaki. Like, like it's like it's something that that you're just like, <laughs> it's going to give you nightmares if you keep talking about it.
1: No, I, I don't have as much to say about this one because it it is what it is. It was honestly, it was a faster read than Scott Pilgrim, um, the book we did last time. Partially was I was speeding through it on purpose to not get nightmares. Um, But it's relatively, you know, all of our books that we read, I usually wait till the last minute to read it because I I read relatively fast, but I love coming into this conversation fresh. Um, But on manga, really quick.
0: I want to ask you something
1: real fast, because you
0: said it is what it is. But
1: what do you mean by that? I know exactly what he was trying to say and how he delivered it. It was a very literal book. I do think there are some broader metaphors at play, but they're not that important honestly it's really about a girl a town shit gets fucked up people are dumb it gets worse and worse and worse comically bad in book two uh societally bad in book three and it's just this inevitable conclusion so it was so linear and that's not a bad thing and i and this is by no means an insult to this book compared to some of the other things we've read um i think you called it textured i would call it textured from an artistic like a, a pen on paper perspective i didn't see it as layered like i didn't find yeah. the story that layered it was i'm following this girl she's experiencing horror it's kind of like what people expect from a horror movie or a japanese or a korean horror movie and shit gets real yeah. and shit it's psychological but it, i just didn't it like look the thing about the pregnant women was that a commentary on motherhood oh. no it was just a it was it was an inversion. It was oh, the one people who are supposed to be the most pure, caring people in the world are the worst in this. But that that wasn't a commentary on you know reproductive rights or anything. You know, I don't think he was saying. I don't anything. think he that's and that's yeah. not a bad thing. He's just he's just telling a story and he did it really well and it
0: went from A to B to C to D and I'm done. Like does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that does. No, and I actually agree with you. He's not saying anything. You know, in particular about the way a society works. I mean, you know, you can kind of pick up on stuff. But- and the only the only the only reason it hit hard
1: was and again, the reason you picked it for us to read is we're literally living through a pandemic of people making stupid decisions. And this book just happens to be about not necessarily a pandemic, but a I actually wondered if it would because I think you described it as that when you told me about the book. But that the parallels are actually what bother me more than the the graphic horror. The parallels of what's going on what, right what now. What did
0: you pick up there? I mean, I, I, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but was there anything specific that as you were reading it, you're just like, holy fuck?
1: Well, yeah. So, okay. Um, another podcast I listen to is the Infinity Podcast. And on the last episode, they were like, yeah, it's kind of like we're living in the like the alternate timeline, the bad one. So that's what this book felt like. Why this hit home so hard. I expect this horror to play out in a comic book. But there's a horror Playing out outside, more outside of your apartment than mine. You're in the city. And that in this comic book, which is science fiction effectively, or horror fiction, whatever you want to call it, the wrong decisions get made and shit gets worse and worse and worse. And effectively, the bad guys win, or the pandemic, or the mm. spiral demon, or whatever it is. The one thing that hit home on reading this was how shit is so real outside right now because of the decisions people, humans, are making. In this comic book, it's a blueprint of when people make the wrong decisions. Again, there was an inevitability to this horror thing that was happening. But like, And uh, by the third book, they talk about people trying to get out of town. But by book two, shit, man, if my kid was in high school and people started turning into snails, I'd be like, we're going to grandma's house for a month. We're out of fucking town.
0: Well, no. Did it? So, 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 did that affect your enjoyment of it?
1: So enjoyment, enjoy, enjoyment enjoyment's the wrong word. Um, appreciation. I really appreciated this, you know, and I appreciated it more. Had I read it in the nineties, I'd just be like, "That's some fucked up shit, Ryan." Why'd you make me read this? But as I read it today in twenty twenty, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, my appreciation of it is much
0: higher than it would have been had I read it literally six months ago. How do you feel about personally about horror, about the genre, about about the feeling of? I hate it. Okay, I, was... I hate it. I avoid
1: it. I don't. Need, I don't need it. <laughs> and I don't. I appreciate it, but I don't need it. It's like I don't need my thrills that way, right? <laughs> like, do you? I uh, do, you, and you like it. I think you. And I was, in I comics, was, but I was how,
0: literally how... talking about it in everything. Well, I mean, in in fiction, okay. I like it a lot. I love it.
1: What well, in in but in it defined mediums
0: in general, I love horror. That that sticks with you. I don't like the jump out scares because, in a way, you can. Those are very very predictable but i love the horror that kind of latches into your psyche and you remember it you remember it you remember images or you remember quotes or you remember things happening and that's across movies video games comics books
1: well i want to talk i want to i want to speak to books though. books really do you read horror books yeah i do because that's more that to me that's more terrifying than any of the other three because the other three it's a scary movie. You can hit pause. You can turn the lights on. A comic book, you can close it. A book; those are words that you are constructing into ideas and images in your mind, and it's like more indelible. Those stick harder. So, do you actually read horror Some books? Of them,
0: yeah, it's hard to do horror. Um, honestly, it is because it's very easy to to try too hard. Like you read, you know, a lot of those image comics, like Spawn. I, I, would, I would. It's debatable. But Spawn I'm, is not, I'm not gonna grab. Um, uh, no, graphic hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm debating now,
1: or I'm, I'm distinguishing between graphic novels, comic books, where the picture is drawn for you versus prose, words on yeah. paper where you have to conjure the image in your mind.
0: Yeah, I do. I actually, if if you can do it really well, wow. um, then that that some of that leaves some of the biggest impressions on me. Like Paul Bowles' short story, The Delicate Prey, about three men, three traders who go out into the desert and encounter somebody who, who's extremely Bad news. Um, he has another story. Um, oh gosh, I forgot what it was called. It's about a professor of, of linguistics who is studying a tribe, and what happens to that professor is so. I talked to you about the lack, the loss of identity, the loss of language, the loss of who you yeah, are. Yeah, That's yeah. what happens to this professor. Um, so Paul Bowles is like one of the the writers of horror that always just gets to me. Another. Novel that I really love is *The House of Leaves* by Mark Um About these were all books I will never about, read about because <laughs> about <laughs> a haunted house like that's bigger inside. It's a house that's bigger inside than out, but it's in. In, in fact, the, the the inside is infinitesimally huge, and the way that he the way he handles that it's also it's also a lot like Uzumaki in the sense of it being eerie, and it starts to grab onto you and creep. Deeper and deeper and deeper until it just takes hold, and it just leaves this really chilly lasting impression on you. But at the same time, once as a story unfolds, you actually realize how how human it is, mm-hmm. and and how and how it's 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 really about about loss.
1: I want, I want to ne- needle the thread a little more, um, or thread the needle a little more. So give me some comic book horror books. We talked about Black Hole. Um, comics are, are harder. Out there, got,
0: comics honestly are a lot harder for me to find good horror because it's image-driven. And this is what I was getting at earlier when I alluded to Spawn um, and a lot of... Like the Tales from the Crypt, Eerie, all of those old 1950s, 60s horror comics, which aren't actually that horrific. You know, it's, it's easy to overplay your hand when you're doing a horror comic because you're just like, I'm going to draw the most shocking and horrific thing, put it on the page. But I would, ima- I, I
1: would imagine the best ones are... The
0: ones that don't have scary pictures, the psychological. Those stories, are rare because you know? because you know yeah. it's hard. That's harder to depict. Psychological horror, How do you depict that visually? It's the
1: this. It's not the picture. It's not a contorted man or you know the horrible images you see in Uzumaki. It's um, maybe just a car crash, a loved one dying, some people you really fall in love with, or these characters you identify with, or you know human trauma, like just. I feel like that can be done really well in the medium because comics are close. Comics, when you get outside of superheroes and science fiction, some of the best comics I've read are when they're just about human beings, like what manga does really well. There's so much manga that's just about people going to work full of the love breaking I, up.
0: I think that's my issue with kind of going back to horror comics is that a lot of times they don't feel like they're about people. The personalities, mm-hmm. the emotions are all sort of abstracted and heightened. They don't feel like mm-hmm. people, they feel like two-dimensional caricatures. Kiri Kiri mm-hmm. is that? Kiri is that in this. She she has her own drives and her own desires. We don't get a lot of sense of her interiority and how she's processing the horrors and there's a lot of times where she really is just sort of like the uh, like the Nick Carraway character. The the the, the means through which we the audience kind of enter the story.
1: Oh, I have one for you, Ryan. Right. I, sorry, I, I, we'll come back to Uzumaki, I promise. One, I have a question for you. How do you feel about the comics, not the TV show, The Walking
0: Dead? I only read up to, I guess, where they defeat the uh, the governor. But fine,
1: you, 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 you've made it a D, de- so it finished, it suddenly finished. And I remember reading the last one last year and I cried. At the end of it because it's kind of like lost. You would come to know these characters. And it's, I think it even says on the, the subtitle of the comic is like a continuing horror story because yes, there are zombies fine. And yes, there's fantastical things like the governor and all the crazy psychology stuff, but it's just about people going through terrible shit. It's just like trauma after trauma after trauma. And like it's PTSD and you're reading and getting PTSD with these characters. And I think that's where the medium's most powerful for horror. Not and again, I'm not saying Uzumaki is bad. In fact, I would argue Uzumaki because it's so short and sweet and direct and to the point. It's great. But I just wanted more human drama. Like I, you know, I actually wanted, I think would have made this even better was Kiri and her boyfriend not just being kind of characters of a boy and a girl, but like having some trauma, something about their parents, their friends, but Everything around them is two dimensional. And had they given me a little more character, may, let me fall in love with these people, really be rooting for them. Um,
0: when they, you know, hug and succumb at the end, I would have cried, and I didn't. I, I see where you're coming from. You don't get a, again. She don't. You don't get a lot of her interiority, but you also mm-hmm. do get a sense of how much she cares for her family. So I, so I, I, I don't agree entirely. That she's strictly two dimensional. Here's the thing. You know how the book we talk about the whole book waffles between horror to humor, horror to humor? I think with Kiri, yeah, it'll yeah. kind of go between her being almost like a witness to somebody who is really trying to defend her family. And again, that's not like a very complicated emotion, but it is a desire that drives her as a character. But there's nothing well, unique. Then, does about it have to be unique? Wait, wait, I, I, does it have to be unique though? Because you're right, it's not it's not a unique emotion, the, the 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 desire to preserve your family. It's not a unique emotion. But I don't think that necessarily is a criteria for deciding whether- The only,
1: is- I, so just recalling some stuff from book three, I'll give her a little bit of credit. So in book three, her family's like living in a shelter, like a collapsed house because they don't want to go live in the row houses. And I believe it's her little brother that's with them at the end. And there, there's this one moment and so this is what we're saying. Um, so her boyfriend is carrying her brother on his back and they're with these other people and people are starting to eat the snails because, you know, food, The human snails, turning, yeah. yeah, the human people who are turning into snails. And there's this one moment where it's clear the brother is turning into a snail and he's on the back of the boyfriend and they, they're like, we can't let these other people know because they're going to eat them. And. They're like, why is his back swig? So like, oh, it's it's a backpack. Is there any food in there? No, he's got clothes on in it. And that moment, so that moment, that was probably might have been the only, and and there's actually, there's another moment. At the end when they're trying to escape and he's completely turned into a snail, the little brother. She's like, you've got to climb down the hill and he won't leave his sister. She's like, I will hit you. She said, I'll do something terrible to you if you don't. And he, he runs away and he survives. Um, Those brief moments of humanity were amazing. And maybe they existed in the beginning and I was reading too fast through it, oh, no. But and maybe I could only realize them because maybe I cared about her because I've known her for three books.
0: Yeah, hmm. I, think, I think that is a big part of it, the fact that you've been with her. You know, sometimes just being around somebody, um, you know, that kind of creates, you know, a little bit of endearment. But I think that's the other thing I was mentioning earlier. I said the first book feels very much like a series of fables. Um, And, you know, one of the characteristics of fables is that the characters are archetypes. They're two dimensional. They're kind of they're very they they kind of just maybe they might they might represent one or two emotions, one emotion. Um, And then as the book progresses, you get a greater sense of who Kiri is as a person and what the importance that her family has to her. And again, loyalty, not unique. And that's not, you know, that's not that's not like an emotion that's never been depicted in literature. But um, it's I'm going to take it back.
1: I'm going to take it back. The thing with her brother would have hit harder. If the brother relationship had carried through the three books, I didn't even realize she had a brother. I mean, he's at the dinner table in book one, but like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Had there been something about her brother throughout it it, again, great move. I cared about her and I was I appreciated her taking care of her little brother at the end but you didn't talk about it. She didn't talk about her brother. She didn't in her high school experiences in book two, et cetera. Yeah, that's, definitely.
0: that's absolutely fair. I mean, you know, you're right. It's, 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 it's a shift in the storytelling where you go from like, the characters are mostly archetypes to no, now they are people who have, you know, who have fe- real fears and family. family, um, And that, 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 I mean, that that's definitely a shift from volume one to, to volume three would you recommend uzumaki
1: yeah hell yeah man i'm always on the hunt for things in the medium that do it well like it's like i could never i don't ever want to see an uzumaki anime or a movie or a tv show i'll probably go watch it but it's so perfect for what it is it's so singular Like I said, I think it disturbed me more because the moment we're in, if I had read this six months ago, I'd be like, ah, another weird comic that Ryan made me read kind of like black hole. Like I appreciated black hole and it did unhinge me a little, but it wasn't, it didn't hit home so hard. And this one, and again, maybe in this moment in time, people shouldn't. So I I I'll take back my thing. I actually might not recommend it until we're out of the, out of the water uh, on this thing we're living through right now.
0: What about you? So for me, well, yeah, I, yeah, I recommended it to you. you. It's it's. <laughs> I, I've told you before, horror is hard to do. I read horror, but I don't. I don't. Um, I I I think it's 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 incredibly difficult to actually leave an impression because, especially with comics, you tend to overplay your hand. And Uzumaki yeah. really kind of left an impression on me, and I still think about the. I still think about the images. I still think about what happens at at the end. Um, and I also kind of love it as a reinterpretation of Lovecraft. So there's like a lot of different aspects of it that I really that I really enjoy. so in a in two weeks, Rumen, what are we reading? <laughs> uh, definitely
1: a very different happier book. We're reading Mike Allred's Red Rocket Seven. Uh, I've so we're and we're gonna bring a friend to the show. Uh, we're gonna start bringing friends to the show and I'll explain to this friend doesn't like wes anderson i never thought about it this way i think mike allred is the wes anderson of comics you either love him or you hate him and he has a very unique style of art of storytelling um it's just a fun comic book about seven alien brothers in their rock band
0: all right guys that's what we have to look forward to it's going to be counter programming to uzumaki i'm looking forward to it hope you are too